for those of you keeping track, we're working through our way through this book called Living Without Fear that, as Sharon remarked, I think on the very first week, it's amazing how he can keep writing books long after his death. Um, so as, by Ernest Holmes, some of his earliest writings that have finally been reprinted. And, and specifically this series is how we can begin to let go and disperse some of our thoughts of despair, some of our thoughts of anxiety or lack, and instead work on a very concerted path towards upholding in our own mind what we want to experience in the world. Um, in fact, every Sunday, um, Nancy or Sharon or whoever's doing the welcoming says, all we have to be open to is simply changing our minds to experience a better life. And so we've been talking about that all month. Last week, um, I had a cautionary tale of not selling yourself short, um, actually expecting the best in our lives and going for it. This week, we're going to go down even to a little bit more of a granular level to talk about specifically the thoughts that we entertain in our own brain. And the reading material was very interesting. As I was looking through, reviewing it again, I went, oh my God, Ernest Holmes is going to tell us what to think. One of the chapter titles for this week is even called Right Thinking. And I thought to myself, oh, you know, this is usually where I and organized religion part ways, right? When, <laughs> when organized religion tells me what to think, usually I'm a little bit, hmm, interesting. <laughs> so I was looking forward to this talk today, thinking, all right, now what possibly could Ernest Holmes convey to us about what we should think? All right, you, you'll, you'll, be, uh, you'll be pleased, I think. I was pleased anyway. Here's what he says. He says, but how are we to know what thoughts to think? Literally, if we believe that as we think, so it passes out in the world, then what are these thoughts that we're supposed to have? What should be the content of our prayers? What should be the content of our spiritual mind treatments? He says, our difficulty, you know, is not great, uh, provided we keep a few fundamentals in view. We have a divine right to all that makes for a happy life. I couldn't summarize it better than that. We have a divine right to all that makes for us a happy life. Abundance must be our heritage of our divine nature. Our life must come from the one life, and peace and happiness can never contradict beauty or reality. We shall not pray amiss if we affirm these things as part of our experience. Therefore, if we ask, believing according to the law of our being, we must receive our heart's content. Nothing less than our heart's content is the promise here. And so it's like, phew! <laughs> I thought we were going to get some strange doctrine. And the reality is, the reality is, Ernest Holmes is simply saying that what is our fondest desire, what is our, our true dream of life, what is our sense of rightness and goodness, and above all, happiness that is what we should think about. <coughs> All right. Well, you know me. I'm also a little on the practical side, and so I'm going to spend only this much <laughs> talking about some of the things that stand in the way of us holding in our own minds this vision of happiness. And um, Ernest Holmes outlines them. He says there are two primary ways of thinking that get in the way, if you will, that will prevent us from realizing our happiness. And the first one is worry and anxiety. Worry and anxiety. 
and and I think he adequately portrays it as that time in life when you know thoughts are swirling around in our mind and sometimes we even get stuck on anxiety of what has happened or what's going to be happening and and if she says this and I do that have you ever stayed awake at night before let's see let's see if I'm alone here has everyone in this room like had a sleepless night where we were puzzling through that. Now, if I do this and then they do that, and then, oh my God, then that'll happen. So instead, I'll do this and I'll say that, but then what if she doesn't notice? And instead, it, right? Am I, I'm not even exaggerating, am I? We've all had that night. And this is one of the primary things that Ernest Holmes can say that says, absolutely, will stay in the way of our absolutely being able to hold happiness in our hearts. And of course, I, I've even managed to find a little bit of a joke around when our thoughts of anxiety can hold us hostage a bit. Over breakfast one morning, a woman said to her husband, I bet you don't even remember what day it is today. Uh, of course I do, <laughs> answered the husband on his way out of the door to the office. So at 10 a.m. the doorbell rang, and when the woman opened the door, she was handed a box of 12 long-stemmed, beautiful red roses. At 1 p.m., another delivery person brought a foil-wrapped two-pound box of her favorite chocolates. And by 3 p.m., she'd received a call from the spa telling her that her husband was making arrangements for her to spend an entire day of luxury at the spa. Well, the woman couldn't wait for her husband to come home. First the flowers, then the candy, then the spa. Honey, I've never spent a most wonderful Groundhog's Day like this in my life. <laughs> the husband was experiencing anxiety, <laughs> right? It's that thinking of, oh my God, what should I have done? What am I forgetting? What's in front of me? Right? It's those thoughts of, of usually future-oriented as though something bad is going to happen. And often, no matter what you do, no matter what your plans are, these cycles going through in your brain. Did you know that there's even a website, this is so prevalent, called www.anxietyculture.com. And the premise of this entire website is that we as Americans in this 21st century are tuned in to picking out the anxious bits of our existence and actually holding on to them fairly firmly. And I think in my, you're laughing, but wait, it gets worse. And, and I think in, in my own heart when I realized that this was actually going on was about the time that the Twin Towers fell in, in New York City. And I, and I think really, although I'm sure it was going on before that time, that, I think, galvanized the United States as a whole into being fearful of life. Now, it was a very isolated event. If you compare the, the lives that were tr so tragically lost there on that day to any of the you know, armed service conflicts that we're even currently in, really the loss of life you know, comparatively was small considering the wars and even just some of the diseases that are rampant in our company take, uh, country take many more lives than, than what happened in New York City on that day. And yet, it's as though, as a people, we became enmeshed in the idea of fearful living. 
And ever since then, too, have you noticed that the media tends to play up things that are going wrong in a kind of an anxious-making, this-could-happen-to-you way? Uh, you know, if you read about maybe a murder or something like that, do they mention it was the only murder that happened in that town in the last 51 years? No, they don't mention that. They go and interview someone that lives two houses down from when the murder happened, and, and they say, how do you feel about this? Right? Haven't you seen that time and time again? And the woman that they interview is like, well, I'm scared, of course. You know, They seemed like nice people. It could happen to anybody. And this is the kind of message that I think fairly systematically and, <laughs> and anxiety culture here absolutely thinks that we are systematically being kind of targeted for these message of something bad happens and it could happen to you. Be careful. You're in danger. The world's not safe. Your children aren't safe. Your loved ones aren't safe. And for the most part, it isn't even true. We're in one of the safest times of America right now in terms of uh, crimes against people and property. Um, even big cities like New York City, you know, they're at their lowest crime rate since, you know, the 1940s. By and large, statistically speaking, we have never been safer in America than we are right now. And yet that is not the message that we're getting. And so when the news reports, and well, another example that just happened recently. Okay, so of course our heart is deeply saddened by what's going on in Japan right now between um, an estimated loss of 10,000 um, 10, people either due to the, uh, the tsunami or, uh, or, or the earthquake. But we're really not, if you look in the news articles right now, are we focusing in on the humanitarian relief? Or are we focusing on the anxiety of potential nuclear meltdowns at a few nuclear plants? Again, it's that idea of let's keep the fear going. Let's have the anxiety in our lives. This is what Ernest Holmes says will absolutely short-circuit our ability to experience happiness right now. If we continue entertaining the thoughts of fearfulness, of anxiety, of, of not being safe, you know, if that's what we hold in our hearts, we will be prevented as a people and as individuals from experiencing happiness. The next thing that Ernest Holmes talks about in the book, equally problematic, and I have to raise my hand again to say, now and then I'm right there in the middle of it, and that is what he says is a mental attitude of regret around things that have already happened. So that's, instead of the staying awake at night, thinking about, oh, I need to say this and I need to do that, and, but what if that happens? Instead, it's the regret for what you already did or should have did or didn't do, right? It's the, oh my God, if only I would have said this to the boss, then that would have happened. Or if only, you know, if only I hadn't have done this, or if only this hadn't have happened when I was 12 years old, or if only my mother hadn't have been eating Twinkies when I was eight months, she was eight months pregnant with me. Or, no, I hear things like this all the time. Something that happened when I was 12 or, or 20 or 33 or 77, because <laughs> it doesn't really matter when, but something that happened is oppressing me right now. And so by thinking it over and over again, I'm going to... But the trouble is, what is going to happen if I just keep thinking of it over 
and over again. Well, science, interestingly, has a very good answer about it. Science will tell you that the more that you think about negative things that have happened in the past, the easier it will be, get, easier it will be to keep thinking about them. Science has shown that with each successive reliving or retelling or re-remembering in your brain, it makes it ever easier to access that part of the brain that that negativity is going on. And in fact, those thoughts, without even you know, calling them forth, will begin entering your subconscious with greater and greater frequency. So I'm all for like speaking my mind and getting it off my chest, but once it's off my chest, let's let it go. The more you tell the sad stories of the past, the more you do the, I wish I would have, I wish I could have, I wish it would have been different, you are putting yourself in the position of carrying it with you forever. Yikes. <laughs> All right, are we done with some of the negative talking? I think I am. I hope you are too. But Ernest Holmes wanted to highlight two of the things that keep us in a position where it is unlikely that the thoughts of joy, the thoughts of good, the thoughts of peace, the thoughts of harmony, the thoughts of abundance, the thoughts that we want. He says, if our mind is full of this other stuff, the good stuff can't light. The good stuff can't stay in there. Our ability to train our mind in ways of embracing the, the wonderful and effervescent part of life is terribly hindered if we get into these cyclical thoughts of either anxiety or regret. Okay, so we're going to let that go. Now the good news is, he said with equal frequency, our thoughts tend towards two other areas that I'm going to go over. And one of them is the simple thoughts of day-to-day -day enjoyment. The simple getting up in the morning and looking at the sunshine or whatever it is at hand to do and saying, yes, by golly, this is life. Now, I know there's a tendency of us sometimes when we see someone who is just irrepressibly cheerful, someone who always seemed to have a good thought, someone who just wakes up perky and effervescent, that we tend to think of them a little bit as a Pollyanna, and we tend to think of them a little bit as though maybe there's some disingenuousness here, right? As though maybe it's kind of made up. But I wonder, is that really what's going on? I have a best friend named Joe that I have known for, oh my gosh, probably 35 years now. And she is one of those people, we go on vacation now and then together, and she is one of those people, she gets up early, there is an immediate smile on her face, there is that ability to find the best in whatever is going on, her purse can get stolen, and she'll say, it was the best day ever, I had most fun down at DMV getting my driver's license back from them. <laughs> And what I began to realize is it wasn't at all that I thought she was a Pollyanna. It actually was that I kind of envied Joanne. There was a part of me that wished I, that I could be happy before two cups of coffee. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> there was a part of me that wishes that when something like a, a stolen purse happens to me, that literally I can look forward to the interactions with the people at DNV and the credit card people on the phone. And it was like, it was the best day ever. I was telling everybody about what was going on and they were so helpful and, you know, everything's fine. I want that. I want that. 
And Ernest Holmes has some specific ideas how we can begin treating ourselves with that same kindness. The other way of thinking that Ernest Holmes talks about in this particular chapter is our intentions for the future. If you want to think about it, it's kind of the opposite of anxiety. Anxiety is looking towards the future as though bad things may happen, right? You know, we're on critical alert at the airport and, you know, it's a, a, a high hazard for air quality and do you know what I mean? That's sort of anxiety thinking about the future. Ernest Holmes says, why not, with the same level of vigor and interest, do intention thinking for good things that will happen in the future? And I got to tell you, uh, I witnessed something yesterday that was most amazing. Now, I've done a number of marriages before. I had the honor of presiding over a marriage yesterday. I've done several, but always before they were actually people that I knew. I mean, when I think of like Nancy and, and Ed's wedding here in our sanctuary with people I knew, it felt just as though it was my own family involved in love. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, it's like it's you that's getting married almost in a way. And so I was very surprised yesterday. I'd only met the couple once. I went to a, a, a wedding rehearsal and, and dinner a week ago. Really did not know them very well and certainly did not know any of the wedding party at all. And yet... The intentions for love in that room, the joy being expressed in that room, the sense of belonging, the sense of knowing that they were embarking upon a wonderful journey that might have its ups and downs, but was firmly fixed in the mind of God as love. Oh my gosh, I was giddy. I was absolutely giddy. I, it felt like I had known them all my lives, much to my surprise. I was you know, plunked right in the middle of their family as though this was my family. And do you know what it was? It was the high intentions in the room. It was the sense of being plugged into something greater than just themselves. It was the sense that, well, part of it was the buildup. If you think about it, of course, they'd been making these plans for some time. It's going to be a perfect day and wearing the perfect clothes and, you know, the flowers are beautiful. And, and so a lot of that it truly is intentions and walking your talk to set it up right. But I was also thinking, too, there was a young gentleman there, about 12 years old. And, of course, everyone at a wedding dresses as best they can. And for this 12-year-old boy, it was new jeans and a white shirt and a clip-on tie. <laughs> and yet, he was beaming. You knew that this was his sense of really dressing for life. This was his sense of seizing the moment, of, of showing up for his cousin in a way that was palpably about joy and love. And, and my God, all it took was a clip-on tie. <laughs> you know? He was as happy as the bride in her $5,000 wedding dress, right? Because he brought the same enthusiasm. He brought the same intention. He brought that same sense of participation in life as the bride had brought. It didn't take the $5,000 wedding dress. It was the $2 clip-on tie from Value Village was enough. <laughs> because truly, if you think about it, it's what's in our heart that's enough. It's always right here. We have to look no further to find our heart's delight than our heart. 
We need to look no further to having a great time, to having thoughts of joy and peace and that expansive nature of belonging to the universe. We don't need to look outside of ourselves. We don't need to look any further than the the clip-on bow tie that's right in our heart. This, this is where dreams come from. This is where the truth and the thoughts of enjoyment and intentions that Ernest Holmes says is the key to experiencing joy in our life. Right here. Absolutely right here. And so this wedding was... um, Again, a pivotal reminder to me that you don't really have to work very hard to experience enjoyment. We can set our own selves up. We, in a sense, we can plan our own weddings. Think about this for a minute right now. Is there anyone more important, more cherished, more to be loved on this planet in your lives than you? Maybe we should do some intentions around holding our own life with that same sanctity, with that same sense of permanence and love with which a couple will approach getting married. Maybe we need to start scouting around for the clip-on bow ties that will represent us bringing our finest into the world. Maybe we need to begin casting around for the beautiful music and the beautiful sense of belonging and uh, you know the little tips and tricks that only you know about yourself that would bring around that same sense of joy, that same sense of commitment, that same sense of, my gosh, just, just true beauty into your own lives. This is my challenge for you this week. If, if I'm allowed to give you just a bit of homework this week, it's to plan your own wedding. It's to begin planting the seeds of commitment to your own life in just the, the sweetest, you know, most loving way that you can to begin fostering these thoughts in your own heart of good enough, of splendid, of, of love, of beauty because it's in your own heart that this begins anyway. Um, Ernest Holmes has just a couple other ideas I'm going to cover really quickly on how to begin planting these individual thoughts in our head. First of all, he says, we absolutely have to counteract the negative ones. So if you come across that night where the anxiety wheel is going, and I think you know what I mean, or if it's the regret wheel, if only I would have, if only I should have, if only he hadn't of, if only she hadn't have eaten those Twinkies. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? When those wheels start turning, we're going to indulge ourselves in a spiritual practice called STOP. And my friend Carolyn West says that STOP stands for Spirit Take Over, Please. So when that wheel starts going, and let's practice here for a minute, on the count of three, let's just say stop. One, two, three, stop. So when the wheel of anxiety keeps going, what are we going to do? We're going to say stop. When those regrets come a mile a minute, we're going to say stop. If anything is going on in our mind that is counterproductive, that is negative, that gets us on that hamster wheel of regret, we're going to say Stop. All right. Spirit, take over, please. And the next thing we're going to do is simply when these negative thoughts come up, especially if they're more of the random nature, I invite you, once the thought has passed, 
simply replace it with the truth. Because there is a spiritual truth behind any negative thought. So if you have a thought of, um, like, where, how am I going to pay the mortgage bill this month? You know, I am short on cash. The corresponding spiritual truth is that I am fully supplied with the one source of everything, and that's God. God is infinite. My supply is infinite. If you're having thoughts of not being worthy or not being loved, replace it with, God is love. I am part of God. There is love in my life now. There is a sea of infinite love. Do you get the idea? Simply take that thought, whatever it is, whatever negative thought comes up, reverse it in your mind and know it as a spiritual truth for yourself. God is perfect love. God is infinite abundance. God is joy. God is the effortless and freedom. God, right? God is all of these things. You have complete heir to the kingdom. You are a part of this thing that we call God. And so you can always tap into that. Simply reverse those negative thoughts, knowing the truth for you as a God-centered being. All right. So we've got our homework assignment. We're going to we're going to develop a wedding for ourselves, if, if only in thought. Um, I recommend for yourself as well another bit of homework, maybe even today. What are you going to do today to upgrade your enjoyment factor? If Ernest says the entire trick to this is having thoughts of things we enjoy, what are you going to do today that you enjoy? What are you going to think today that will produce joy in you? How are you going to open your heart on this day to experience more joy? Okay? Um, so that's another bit of homework for you. Uh, some thoughts along those uh, areas. Uh, the music today is fabulous. Maybe picking up one of those CDs on your way out. You can, you can bring the joy along with you. And I know at 3 o'clock, if you want to hear some really joyful and beautiful music, Terry and Donna Lynn, the 3 o'clock concert that they're doing would be fabulous. But whether it's making a trip to OMSI, whether it's going to a concert, whether it's sitting down with yourself and just contemplating, what is joy in my life? What thoughts really open me up to experience more joy? This is what I would like us to embark upon today. All right, so let me close with one last thought from Ernest Holmes. And, uh, and this is, uh, I think it's wonderful, he ends this segment this way. Um, he basically says, you know, I get questions all the time. Is it okay to pray for, for silly stuff? Is it okay to pray for the new sports car? Is it, you know, do I have to be real spiritual in my desire for my un unfolding. And I love this. He just couldn't be more bold. He says, what then if we should desire some special thing? Maybe we only enjoy it for the moment. Can there be anything wrong with this? And he answers, certainly not. If this desire harms no one and helps us to express joy. If then we desire some special thing, why not ask for it and receive it? But how do we ask? We ask by knowing in our own minds that that for which we ask is already ours. And according to our belief, receptivity, and full acceptance, it shall be ours. Let us pray. 
There is one power and one presence in this universe. It is the zest of life. It is the joy of a wedding. It is the good spirits that come from a concert. It is that heartiness and sweetness in our own hearts flung open to receive good. This is the nature of God in its many forms. And I know it means me. I know that my life is open to experience more of this joy, more of this fun. I know that my life is open to having the wedding of my dreams, even just with myself. That sense of being at the right place, doing the right thing, having the perfect intentions for the future. I accept it. It is me on this beautiful day. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here more easily releases anxious thoughts or thoughts of regret. I know that each person here easily lets go of anything of the past that might prevent full enjoyment of this present moment. I know each person here with great delight thinks about the things that bring them joy in the present moment of experiencing life in life's goodness. <coughs> I know that each person here has that ability to see the life, to see the love, to see the joy in everything that's going on, accepting life as it comes and making beautiful plans for an expectant future. And so I'm grateful for this awareness, grateful to be here in the power and presence of God as it takes the form of each person in this room, grateful to be just enveloped in the thoughts of love and family and joy and peace. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here today.